listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series, What the Bible Says About, with a new weekly topic that goes through what the Bible says on important issues of the day. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. All right, I hope you're excited today. We're going to hear from the Lord through his word. If you brought your Bible, please open it to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is a passage I've been looking forward to talking to you about for a long time. We're going to be looking at what the Bible says about winning, what the Bible says about winning. When you consider the alternative, (laughs) losing, I think it's a pretty good thing to look at what the Bible says about winning and how you can be a winner. Now, this particular passage became important to me Unbeknownst, I was not prepared for it when I was in the Solomon Islands a few years ago, quite a few years ago, and God blew the doors off of me in genuine spiritual awakening. My eyes were opened up to this particular passage, and you have permission today as God blows the doors off of you, as God blows your circuits and excites you and fires you up. You have permission to say amen, to shout hallelujah, to raise your hand, even stand in response to the Lord all throughout the message. I would hope that you get excited about God's word. If we can't get excited about God's word, something is wrong. In fact, if today's message, if you don't find a connection as a result of today's message in your life, I don't want you to go to lunch right after the message. I want you to go to the emergency room. I want you to ask them to hook you up and get an EKG done and see if you're still alive. You might be a walking dead person. Never mind the walking dead that you can watch on television. You might have a heartbeat and yet be dead to the Lord Jesus, or you might not be alive at all, okay? So this message is for you. It just so happens that there are some other people who are eavesdropping on what God wants you to hear. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse one. We're gonna start with the beginning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So much for tolerance, right? Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Amazing what the Bible is saying here. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. An amazing passage of scripture. To win in life is to win with God. And you cannot win in either unless worship is what your life is all about. To win in life is to win with God, and to win with God is to make worship the all-consuming passion of your life. See, in natural warfare and in sports, and basically in every area of life, the person who surrenders loses. But when it comes to winning with God, I don't mean winning over God, I mean winning with God. When it comes to winning with God, until you surrender, you will never win. Surrender is the necessary attitude of the heart, the pursuit of your life. It's what opens up the floodgates of heaven and causes you to get on that winning track. It makes you invincible. When you are walking with God in surrender to him, when you're surrendered to the Lord, you will win every time. No one who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. Nobody. Nobody who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret, it, to regret it. Now listen, here's what we're looking at today. There are business owners today, and as a result of what you hear, your business is going to be directly affected by the Word of God. You're going to begin to conduct your business differently. You're either going to rediscover what you should have been doing all along, or you're going to discover what you need to do from this point forward. There are going to be marriages, the way you're interacting with each other. That's going to change today as a result of what you see, of what you hear, of what you feel as a direct result from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God connecting with you through the Word of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit does not work in a vacuum. God's work is like a well. The deeper that well is, the more water you can draw from that well and dispense to other people. So if you want the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life, you've got to dig that well. You've got to dig that well and have the Word of God as your reservoir that God can use in your life. 
I suspect that there are going to be people listening today where your parenting is going to change. How you're parenting your children, whether you're a mother or a father or a guardian. There are people who are, as a direct result of hearing the word of God, relationships are going to be restored. And some of us, some of us, listen to this, we're actually going to get off our butts and begin to serve the Lord Jesus Christ like we have never served before. How can you be a pastor and talk about people's butts? Because we're all sitting on them right now, right? And the idea is that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Word of God, you will get off that butt, onto your feet, and the Spirit of God will take what he's teaching you and you will get out into your neighborhood, into your workplace, you will go out into the community and you will be the salt and light that God has called you to be. You will be that world changer. Remember, to win in life requires that you win with God. And in order to win in both, you have to be a worshiper. Look at what he says here in verse 1, chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, Paul has spent the whole 11 chapters of the book of Romans talking about the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about salvation, talking about the gospel, laying it all out for us so that we can understand it with absolute clarity. And then he gets to this transition point and he says, in light of everything that I have been teaching you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in light of everything that God has done for you and for us in Jesus Christ, a response is necessary. And that's what worship is. Worship is a response to God's initiative. Listen, none of us takes an initiative with God. We were all dead in our trespasses and our sins. All of us. Nobody seeks God of their own power, of their own enabling. God took the initiative and always takes the initiative in your life, but then it's a matter of being a responder to what God is saying to you. Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, in view of what God has done, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You might be in the midst of this struggle right now. You have probably been in the midst of that struggle in the past, and you will find this temptation in the future. Notice I'm saying temptation. Because once you know what the Word of God says, this will no longer be the struggle that it might have been up to this point. And the struggle is, God, what is your will for me? What's your will for me in my life? What school should I go to? Who should I marry? What vocation should I take up? How should I serve you? What should that service look like? What is your will for me? Who should I marry? How should I parent? How should I lead? How should I live in this new world of disorder as a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Word of God, and being that world changer, that winner who's walking with God, right? The important thing that you need to understand is that God's will, clarity over God's will, is a byproduct of being a living sacrifice. Why would I even say that? Because that's what Paul says here in verses 1 and 2. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the New International Version. I committed it to memory. This is the English Standard Version, and the same idea is presented here in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God does have a will. He wants you to know it, and you can know God's will in proportion to being a living sacrifice, in proportion to being a walking worshiper, a surrendered soul to the Lord God. When you are surrendered to God as a living sacrifice, the will of God becomes as clear as crystal. The next time you find yourself struggling with and battling with, God, what is God's will? I don't know what God's will is. God, God, what should I do? It's good to want to do the will of God, but always remember the will of God comes with clarity in proportion to your surrender. The real issue in life is not God, help me to discern your will. The real issue in life is, Lord, help me to be a living sacrifice. If you make it your ambition to be a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship, your spiritual act of worship, God's will will become as clear as crystal. And you'll be free. You'll be free. You know, so many of us get concerned. I had that concern in my own life. I wanted to get God's will so perfect and so flawless that I couldn't move. I became immobilized. I became paralyzed. You know anybody who's paralyzed because they don't know what God's will is? And it becomes all about God's will. God, if I don't know your will, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit and I'm going to wait and I'm not going to do anything. And before you know it, you can be 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years old because you've been waiting for God to reveal his will when you could have been worshiping that whole time as a living sacrifice. And what I'm trying to do, what the Lord is trying to do, is to challenge you and to encourage you to stop fixating and focusing on God's will and to start fixing and focusing on worshiping God. When worship becomes the thing that you're really concerned and consumed with, everything in life begins to fall into place. True worship requires a living sacrifice, a surrendered life of holiness. Look what he says there. He qualifies it. It's this four-letter word that we, in our natural selves, don't value the way we really should value. It's imperative that we worship God on his terms. We don't recreate God in our own image. We worship God on his terms, and what God is looking for is a holy offering before him. In the Old Testament, if you look at Exodus 29, all the articles of the tabernacle were anointed with a sacred anointing oil, and everything that that sacred anointing oil touched was made holy. It was literally transformed. And what Paul is presenting here as the recovering Pharisee that he was, remember, he was a Pharisee, well-versed in the Old Testament. What Paul is presenting for us today, as he was presenting then, is this idea of the Old Testament imagery, the lamb or the grain offering or the drink offering, whatever it was that was consumed. You can look at Leviticus chapters one through five and you can see the five major offerings that are presented there. There are other offerings as well, but Leviticus chapters one through five, every single one of them points to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a type or a kind of Jesus. 
And once that sacrifice was given on the altar, it was totally consumed, totally given over to the Lord. Remember, context is everything. This is Paul, the Pharisee, well-versed in the Old Testament, and he's bringing up this imagery of the Old Testament sacrifices, but now it's a New Testament thing. It's not an Old Testament thing. And God doesn't want a lamb, or he doesn't want a drink offering or a grain offering. He wants you to get up and to crawl onto that altar where you become a living sacrifice to God. How can a sacrifice be living? The whole idea is that it would die. It would be irrevocable. Once it gets up onto that altar, once it's presented on that altar, it's not coming back. Just like when Jesus was going to that cross, they knew he's not coming back, humanly speaking, but Jesus knew that he was coming back. Can I get an amen for that? Jesus knew that he was coming back when he conquered death, conquered the grave, raised from the dead on that third day. But the interesting juxtaposition here is that God isn't interested in something that is dead. He's interested in something that's alive. And in order for you and for me to be alive to Jesus, we have to be dead to ourselves. And that's why you have to become the offering on that altar of dedication before God. You have to be totally, irrevocably, irrevocably given over to God as a living sacrifice. When you are a living sacrifice, when you're surrendered to the Lord, you're no longer opposing him. And when you're no longer opposing the Lord, you can begin to win with him. You can begin to make great strides in your life. You know, that's the objective of the Holy Spirit in your life. He wants you to move forward. He knows how to get you unstuck. He knows how to give you good things. Our Father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to his children. And one of the things that God has had to accomplish in my life, same thing in your life, is to replace my thinking where I don't believe that God really has his best in store for me. Notice I said his best, right? If I get God's best, then it's my best too. I don't want my best if it's apart from God's best. When I get God's best, I get my best, and that's when I'm fully satisfied. That's when I'm fully surrendered to the Lord, when I'm living as a living sacrifice, when I'm given over to the Lord. My desires are his desires. His desires are my desires. Remember, nobody who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. Nobody. Recognize those areas in your life where you have believed and embraced a lie, something to the contrary. Listen, write this down, commit it to memory. It's a major teaching in the Bible. Nobody who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. And right about this time is when that big butt comes in, right? You know anybody who's got a big butt? And I'm not referring to the fact that we live in the snack capital of the United States of America. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about, that kind of a butt. I'm talking about something that's contrary to faith. Romans chapter 14, the last verse says, whatever does not come from faith is sin. If God doesn't give it to you, you don't want it. It doesn't matter how good it looks or what it promises, just ask Adam and Eve. If something is offering you wisdom, 
but it's not from God, you don't want it. If something is offering you advancement, but it doesn't come from God, you don't want it. If something is offering you popularity, but it doesn't come from God, you don't want it. If something is promising you financial security, but it doesn't come from God, you don't want it. If something is promising you peace and satisfaction and fulfillment, but it doesn't come from God, you don't want it. The only things you want from God are not really things. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is enough. And if in the course Jesus wants to give you something, you'll take it absolutely. But if Jesus doesn't want to give it to you, you don't want it. Take it from somebody who learned that the hard way multiple times. Me. And maybe you've learned that multiple times in multiple ways the hard way. True worship requires that you be a living sacrifice surrendered to God, holy, dedicated to the Lord. That word holy, that adjective, that descriptive word is so important that you are dedicated to the Lord, totally given over to the Lord. You gotta be really careful that you are not serving the Lord on your own terms, having recreated God in your own image. And yet that's rampant today in many churches. People are quote unquote serving God apart from the will of God all because they have not understood the importance of being a living sacrifice. In fact, you might know somebody who has wasted years of their life serving God quote unquote in a way that they thought they needed to serve God even while they knew that that's not the way that God called them to serve. It's wasted time. More than that, it's a missed opportunity to give the Lord what he deserves, which is worship. Which is worship. And the interesting thing in this passage is that not a guitar or a drum or a hymn or any kind of musicality whatsoever is mentioned. Don't you find that to be strange where today in our country, worship has become synonymous with music? Some of the best worshipers on the earth. Listen, take heart if you can't sing on key. Take heart if you don't know how to play guitar or keyboards or drums and you can't keep a beat to to, to save your life. Take heart if that's you. Your ability to worship God is not limited in any way, shape, or form by your musical capability. It is limited only by what you determine to give to the Lord. When you decide to make yourself a living sacrifice to the Lord, you become a walking worshiper, an acceptable sacrifice. You begin to worship the living and the true God, not the way you want to initially worship and serve him on your own terms, but the way he deserves to be worshiped and honored and exalted. Listen, remember, nobody who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. And converse to that, there are a whole lot of people who have withheld from God an area of their life and live to regret it. Nobody who resists God ever gets ahead. The sinful nature is so pervasive, apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, as we're going to jump into it in just a moment so that you understand how that renewing of the mind takes place. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. We're so self-deceived that we actually think that we can get ahead when we withhold from God. We actually think that at times. 
The Bible has a word for that, and it's sin. You will not get ahead when you withhold from God. True worship requires a living sacrifice, a surrendered life characterized by holiness. The agenda of God must be the objective of your life. The agenda of God must be the objective of your life in your personal life, in your family. What's God's objective for you in the family? What's God's objective for you in the business? It's great that you have a business, whether you own one or whether you manage one or whether you work for somebody else, but are you a walking worshiper in your business? Is your business totally given over to the Lord? Is your family totally given over to the Lord? Listen, if you listen to this message, if you listen to what God is saying to you today, and there are not fundamental changes that occur in your life, you only heard with your ears. What I mean is this. For some of us, it's going to mean fundamental changes in how we spend God's money, how we spend God's time, how we spend God's resources, how we use the mouths that God has given us. For others of us, it's going to mean a doubling down, a recommitment, a renewed dedication to those same things, honoring the Lord with our money, honoring the Lord with our time, honoring the Lord with our resources, honoring the Lord in our relationships. But if you leave here today and all you're thinking about is what there is for lunch or perhaps for dinner, oh my goodness. See, there are many people who, unfortunately, we've perpetuated this cycle. I gotta go to church just like I have a mechanic just like maybe I have an attorney. If I have a legal problem, I got to go see an attorney. I've got a medical doctor. You know, who's your family physician? You've got that. A dentist. Who's your dentist? And many of us, we have a church because that's what, you know, quote unquote, good people need. You need to have a church. You need to have some place where you're, you can identify with other people. No, you need to identify not only with other people, you need to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ to such a degree that you are a living sacrifice to the Lord, totally dedicated to him, which is a spiritual act of worship. Until you are a walking worshiper where you are totally given over to the Lord, every area of your life, you're missing time and you're losing ground. You're missing time and you're losing ground. Nobody who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it, ever. True worship requires that you be a living sacrifice, a surrendered life characterized by holiness. And you know how that's possible? It's made possible through the renewing of your mind. It all is a byproduct. It's the result of the renewing of your mind. That's how it takes place. Look what he says here. Do not be conformed to this world, verse two, but be transformed. We'll get to the transformation part in just a moment, but we want to look at the renewal part. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's what results in the ability to discern and test and approve what God's will is, right? The renewal of the mind. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The mind is the epicenter of worship. The mind. So stop fixating and focusing on worship music. Even though I love great worship music. I love music. Got a bunch of guitars, all kinds of stuff. Love music. I just don't have time to dedicate to music the way I used to and the way I would, in some regard, love to do it. The mind, your mind, is the epicenter of whether or not 
and the degree to which you will be a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing, holy and acceptable. Your mind matters to God. Your mind matters to God. It should matter to you. If you want to win, if you want to get ahead, you need to take more attention. You need to pay more attention to what's happening in the theater of your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. So much for tolerance. Wow. Wow, it's almost as if when we read the Bible, God's not interested in our opinions. He's interested in making sure that our opinions embrace his opinions and that our lifestyles conform to him. This is not mamby-pamby, weak, watered-down language that God is using here. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Wow. Wow, look at this. Taking every thought captive fits right in with this idea of the renewal of your mind. You know, you are a byproduct of the people you spend time with, the books that you read, the electronic devices you spend time on, the social media you're feeding yourself, the music you listen to. You are a product of all of those things. You will become like what you do in your time. You will become and you will be influenced in accordance to what you read, what you listen to, what you embrace, the television shows that you watch, the movies that you go to, the music that you listen to, the games that you play on electronic devices. Well, it's just a game. Is it just a game? Or is it perhaps something that's causing you to be numbed down in many instances about the value of human life, which is what many electronic games are doing these days. Then you say, what I, you sound like a fuddy-dud, man. You sound like you're just down on fun. No, I'm up on being a living sacrifice. And you better be up on being a living sacrifice too because until you are sold out, you're gonna be selling out and you're gonna be compromising on God's calling for your life. God doesn't want you to sell out. He wants you to be sold out. You understand what I'm saying? You are a byproduct of what you're watching, what you're listening to, what you watch on television, what you listen to, the songs that you listen to, the lyrics do matter. They do matter. You're a byproduct of the people you spend time with. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. You're a byproduct of the books you read. All of those things accumulate and contribute to your life for better or for worse. Listen, I, I've got some, some great music that I listen to, and some of it has great musical composition, but I can't listen to it because of the lyrics. I cannot listen to it because I have a choice to make, and you do too. And listen, we're living in a golden age of music, at least uh, in some regard. <laughs> Sometimes we wonder, is that really golden, what I'm, what's uh, being churned out today? But listen, you've got to make a decision. Am I going to be a living sacrifice or am I going to be a sellout? Am I going to be sold out for Jesus and take captive every thought, not every other thought, not an occasional thought? 
Am I going to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ? Or am I just going to let whatever wants to come in, come in and make me think about things that maybe I shouldn't be thinking about? Definitely you shouldn't be thinking about. A lot of songs will do that. A lot of books will do that. A lot of movies will do that. A lot of television will do that. A lot of talk radio will do that. Negative naysaying, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong. You listen to enough talk radio during the course of the day. If you keep listening to talk radio and that's how you get your news and that's where you spend your time, you're going to start... You are a product of what is going in to your mind. And the mind is the epicenter of worship. Probably never thought about it that way before, huh? Your mind is of strategic importance to God's objective of you being a living sacrifice. What goes into your mind will eventually make its way out of your mouth. It will affect what you do with your hands. It'll affect where you go with your feet. It'll affect what you allow yourself to listen to. And it will affect whether or not you begin to compromise on God's calling in your life, which is to be holy. Holiness matters to the Lord. Holiness matters to the Lord. Holiness matters to anybody and everybody who's consumed and concerned with being a living sacrifice to God. If you're not concerned about holiness, see the problem with the living sacrifice, it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. If you're not concerned about holiness, if the word holy is just a four-letter word to you in your walk with Christ, you're not really walking with Christ. That's a beautiful word, holy. It's what God finds to be attractive. And so it does matter what you listen to. It does matter what you watch. It does matter how you spend your time because you are a byproduct of all of those things. And as your eyes go, as your ears go, as your heart goes, as your mind goes, so will go your life. You know, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does he mean by that? Your whole life will be transformed by one thing, the renewal of your mind. And what he's saying is this. If you don't rein in your mind, if you don't take captive every thought, if you don't start to take what's happening in the theater of your mind seriously, you will never be serious about being a living sacrifice. And if you're not serious about being a living sacrifice because you're not serious about taking captive every thought and having your mind renewed, you won't win with God. You'll suffer major setbacks in your life that otherwise you could avoid, all because you weren't being attentive to what's happening in your mind. You know, the enemy does want to plant seeds in your mind, men. The enemy does want to plant seeds in your mind about your wife. That doggone woman, doesn't she understand by now? We've been married for this many number of years. It's never long enough, by the way. Doesn't she know better? My gosh, isn't she reading her Bible? All the while, while this critical spirit is welling up in you, isn't she walking with Jesus? What's wrong? You know, ladies, the enemy and the world and the flesh, all three of them, 
are hard at work trying to conform you to the image of this world instead of the image of Christ. Trying to get you to think that your husband is Jesus Christ. He's not. He's not going to be. In fact, he would not have died for you on the cross if he had the opportunity. He wouldn't. Let's just be honest about it. So stop trying to make your husband into your savior that he will never be. Only Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. The world is trying to conform you, trying to conform me, trying to press you into its mold so that you look like everybody else, you act like everybody else, you think like everybody else, and you worship just like everybody else. And that's one of the reasons why when we look around in our churches across the nation, there ain't too much difference in many instances between the way the people who go to church are living and the people who are in the world. Why? It all comes down to the mind, the epicenter of worship. So much of what we do, so much of what we say, so much of what we behave is not noticeably, dramatically different from what we see happening in the world. And so what we resort to is a flick switch mentality to worship. Well, now we're going to worship. Worship's over. I go back to whatever. And we don't understand how strategic the mind is. It does matter what you watch. It does matter what you listen to. Because what you watch is processed by the mind. What you listen to is processed by the mind. You are called by God. I am called by God. We are called by God to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, pleasing to God. And you can't do that if you let your mind embrace all kinds of stuff. You can't do that without taking captive every thought. Look with me at Romans chapter 10, 17. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, which would be the Bible. The Bible is the word of Christ. What is the book that Jesus taught from when he walked and he talked on the earth? What is the book that he went to and he taught from? It wasn't the Quran. Quran didn't even exist at that time. It wasn't the Hindu holy books, supposed holy books. It wasn't Socrates or Aristotle or any of the philosophers. He taught from the Old Testament. That is the word of Christ. If you think that just the red letters in your New Testament are the words of Jesus, don't let the publishers convince you or fool you or trick you or subtly influence you to think, well, if it's in red, that's a word from Jesus. And you know, you want Jesus to be calling in your life? You want Jesus to speak to you? Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Look with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Great verse of scripture to commit to memory. It's directly correlated to the renewing of your mind, which will transform your life and make you unrecognizable. God is doing an extreme makeover in your life. At least he wants to. He wants to accomplish that. Don't assume, don't assume that because you're saved, because you know Jesus, that that means it's this smooth sailing, that God's committed to finishing what he started in you. Are you committed 
to what God has started in you? You're commanded, I'm commanded, we're commanded to take captive every thought. There's some things that God's not going to do for you. You have to do it for yourself. And one of those things is to take captive every thought. Another one of those things is to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. The most life-altering thing you can do. A-L-T-A-R-I-N-G. Altering. The most life-altering thing you can do is to spend time in the Bible, the word of God, the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? The most life-altering thing you can do in your life with your life, in your time, is to establish a daily time in the Word of God, a quiet time where you're in the Word of God, where you're spending time reading the Word. That's how your mind gets renewed. Remember, if your mind's not renewed, your life won't be transformed. If your life is not transformed, you're not being a living sacrifice before God. And if you're not a living sacrifice before God, you are losing ground. You're not winning. You're not getting ahead with God. You're missing out. Nobody who truly surrenders to God will ever live to regret it. Nobody. Your mind is renewed in proportion to the word of Christ that you're meditating on, that you're digesting, that you're putting into practice. You know, a little bit of Bible every day keeps the devil away. Is that really true? Yes, it is. But it's the Bible all through the day. It's the Bible all through the day. You fill up your tank early in the morning, and then you make withdrawals all through the day. You fill up your tank, and you make withdrawals all through the day. It's that Bible all through the day that will keep the devil away. And by the way, not only the devil, also the world, also the flesh. It's not just the devil that we've got to be concerned with. We have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they are all taken care of courtesy of the word of Christ when it's dwelling in you richly. When you're digging that well with the word of God, you've got water to draw from. Your cistern is deep. The more you read the Bible, the more you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the more you have to draw from so that when the trials and the difficulties and the hardships and the temptations and the whispers of the world and the whispers of your own flesh and the whispers of the devil. When they come, you can stand your ground and continue to be a living sacrifice, a walking worshiper. True worship requires a living sacrifice, a surrendered life, holiness before the Lord. It's made possible through the renewing of the mind which creates a clarity in God's will. And you know what that does? It releases us into service and transforms every single aspect of our lives. Every single aspect. Look with me back to Romans chapter 12. Yeah, you're allowed to get excited. Somebody got that one, right? That's good. It's awesome. Romans chapter 12, right? Verses 1 and 2 set the stage for the rest of chapter 12 and really the rest of the book of Romans because Paul now begins to transition beginning in verse 3 with all of the consequences of being a living sacrifice. When your mind is renewed, you're transformed. You become otherwise unrecognizable. That's what the rest of chapter 12 is about and chapter 13 and chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15. You want to know what a living sacrifice looks like? You want to know what the consequences are for having a renewed mind? 
It's the transformation of your entire life. You will begin to say things you otherwise would not say. You will begin to do things you otherwise would not do. You'll begin to go places you otherwise would not go. You will begin to have an impact you otherwise would not have. And it all comes back to the idea of the renewing of your mind. It does matter what you watch, what you listen to, what you embrace, how you spend your time. It all matters because it affects whether or not and to what degree you will be a walking worshiper, a living sacrifice to the Lord. A man or a woman might want to give God a lot of things in the course of their life. And you might be one of them. And that's good. But you don't want to fail on giving God the epicenter of everything he wants. It's not really the things in your life. It's your life. The great exchange is that Jesus hung on the cross and gave his life so that you could give him yours as a living sacrifice. The whole rest of this chapter focuses on spiritual gifts and the attitudes of the mind and the attitudes of the heart, the ways that people are transformed. Look with me, verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts or charismata, grace gifts, undeserved gifts, that's what that means. Having gifts that differ according to the grace, the undeserved favor given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortations, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul, we know, is not being exhaustive about spiritual gifts because he lists others elsewhere. He's just giving us a sampling of what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. When you are a living sacrifice, you're using your gifts for God's glory. You're serving you're coming alongside of other people in the body of Christ. Your life is about the greatest calling you could ever receive to help people understand Jesus as their savior and to help them grow in being a disciple. This is what it is all about. Look what he says here in verse nine. Now he starts to talk about love. When your mind is renewed, you become a person who's transformed and you actually begin to love in ways you otherwise would not love. Your love becomes sincere, not selfish. We know that true love is never selfish, but there's so much that we do in the course of our relationships that is tainted by sinful nature. We do so many things because of what we think we're going to get as a result of it. But when your mind is renewed and you're taking captive every thought, your life is transformed in the area of love. Let love be genuine. You begin to abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's what you do. When you're a living sacrifice, you begin to hold fast to what's true. Here's what it looks like. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. All this stuff is counterintuitive. You can't do this stuff on your own. I can't do this stuff on my own. Nobody can do it on their own. If we just did this naturally, if human nature was good, fundamentally, 
And why are we being told to do these things? If this stuff just came automatic, then why do we need to be told that this is the way you need to live? We're not just being told that this is the way to live. This is how you will live. When you offer your body as a living sacrifice, when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, holy and acceptable, it is our spiritual act of worship. We stop looking like the world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. What part of me is transformed? You, all of you, your whole life, unrecognizable. You will be transformed by the renewal of your mind as the word of Christ is in you. And then, as a byproduct in God's goodness, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What is God's will? That you serve. That you are sold out for Jesus. Because human tendency, listen, I'm going to tell you, the human tendency is to sell out. We're all sellouts. Listen, the apostles were sellouts on the Mount of Olives. Where'd they go when Jesus needed him? Boop, nobody's around. Nobody can be seen. We are all sellouts in and of ourselves, but when God gets a hold of our minds, when our minds are renewed through the word of Christ because we're dwelling richly in the word of Christ, everything about us is transformed. You begin to serve like you've never served before. Somebody has been listening to what God has been saying to you right now. Somebody has been listening. If that's you, would you just stand up before the Lord and say, that's me? God, you've been speaking to me. Thanks for all these other people who have been eavesdropping, but this message was for me. Amen. True worship requires your life being a living sacrifice before God, a holy sacrifice. It's made possible through the renewing of your mind. It results in a clarity of God's will about how we should live, how we should serve. It releases us into service. And you know what? It makes us completely unrecognizable to what we would otherwise spend our time on and what we would look like if God himself hadn't gotten a hold of our lives. Is God good or is God good? Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.